today's podcast introduction is coming to you from the hospital, from the chemo unit to be precise. Today um, I'm having my second infusion of a new chemotherapy that I've just started and I thought I'd bring you along for the ride. It's a fairly busy unit, although people have slunk off now, I've been here for over three hours now. The chemo has already gone into my body. I get given drugs that make me very sleepy, so I actually get to have a nice little rest. And then when I wake up, I listen to today's chat with my podcast guest, Dermot O'Leary. I I genuinely did smile quite a lot as I was listening to our conversation today. And from the offset, everyone is probably keen to know whether or not Dermot smells good. And he really, really does. We talk about this in the chat. But I thought I'd mention it again. One of those people that you think, not only does he look like he smells good, but he also looks like he hugs really well. And I can confirm that he does both exceptionally well. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, we then go into some deeper chats about his turd and how things have been, have affected him in his life. There, there are some really interesting things that come up and I think when you've had such a shock in a in your teenage years and you've realised the fragility of life, it really does potentially turn you into the person you are today. Although I'm still not entirely sure whether it was that or if Dermot truly is just a warm, sunny, jolly kind of a guy anyway. But I have a feeling that his upbringing and the things he experienced as a younger person affected who he is today. I really do. And I got to learn so much more about my friend. And it was really, really nice. Without further ado, I want you to have a listen. So please enjoy. I'm just going to do a wee little intro. Sure. Um, not, I don't really feel like Dermot O'Leary needs much of an intro. But here's the presenter, radio host, national treasure, I think, Copperfield patron, um, official good hug giver, and (laughs) fellow cat lover and children's book author, podcast host. And today we'll share turd stories with me. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. (laughs) Thank you. That was a nice intro. And you know what? My uh, producer was like, There's, there is someone in the office and um, the only other question that we had that's quite important, it's quite pressing, is we want just confirmation that Dermot O'Leary smells really good. And I said yes. So that question's well, already answered. Exactly. I can't give that. I, I, I have no objectivity about that, do I? So Because, you know, you don't really know how you, how you smell. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. But you must get that comment quite a lot, that you smell good, because you absolutely do. Well, you try to. Uh, I did the Royal Parks half on the weekend, uh, and that's when, and we didn't get a chance to shower afterwards. And then we went to lunch, me and some friends. And I'm pretty sure I wasn't smelling great then. But you know, you, you just you, know, you just spray, and you just hope that no one in the restaurant or pub is going to mind too much. But no, I, it's nice to smell good, isn't it? Yeah. I like also smells so kind of evocative, and uh, and uh, it's funny. I was interviewing Paddy McGuinness on the radio the other day, and him and Freddie. Uh, Flintoff because they travel so much 
are doing kind of, I think it's like Cologne Wars or something, and their mission mm-hmm. is to go around whenever they're in airports is to try and find the most obscure uh, aftershave from their youth because it takes you right back there. Oh, I remember oh that. I remember the aftershave I wore when I was 13, 14, 15, or like coming into puberty. And What you know, was it? Well, it was. It all is interesting. It, it evolves because it, you start with the really cheapy kind of insignia. Was very much insignia came out when I was a kid, so that was very much kind of you know you only really had brute and old spice, and then mm-hmm. suddenly this new guy on the block yeah. turns up in insignia, and then as you start to do Saturday jobs and stuff, you kind of you know, and you've got you've got any disposable income, but what you've got you sort of spend on music, clothes. Uh, or aftershave and I got and East Saint Laurent jazz became the big thing and then of course it, that evolved into Calvin Klein eternity and then and then and then you hit adulthood and you realize that there are other stuff available but like I remember the perfume my mum used to wear when I was a kid and I could still smell that my first yeah. girlfriend you know all that sort of stuff just take I love that I love smell for that just bring, picks you up and takes you back somewhere yeah so yeah I do like to smell nice but it's but I, I I guess that I, there's something in that, yeah. Mm. Okay, well, confirmed, you do smell good. <laughs> Apart from when you've done a bath, uh, a half yeah. marathon. I keep saying bath half. Bath well, half. I have done a bath That's half for Yes, you. yes, you and absolutely I have. At, I didn't smell good at the end of that, let me assure you. Yes, I can confirm that was true too. Um, anyway, we're not here to talk about bodily odours. We're here to talk about your turd. So what is it going to be? Well, hang on a second. I need, you need to, because I feel like, especially when I speak to someone like you, who, um, you know, we're not kind of, I know you don't want to eulogize or anything, but, but you've got to take all this into some kind of context and perspective in that the stuff that's happened to me in my life, for the most part, even though, of course, you know, everyone has their own struggles and their own uh, uh, journey, for want of a better word, it's it's been relatively turd free. So, we need to kind of, I mean, how many turds are you after in this podcast? Just and one. At what, what, level of, what level of severity? Oh, we haven't got, I mean, my one will be over in five minutes. So we haven't got, um, and so we, I, I guess, you know, give me some context as to how bad you want these turds to be. Because like, obviously, you know, my life has been, a, 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 you know, one that I'm incredibly grateful and privileged for, and I feel very blessed. Well, thank you for checking your privilege and acknowledging that. But, but really, there is no hierarchy in turd world so it's really just something that made you have to go down a different path or made you really look at your life or something that was maybe a bit traumatic or anything that was just a bit like okay this is life okay so it's funny so there's there's probably three moments uh personally professionally whatever um the first um it was was I didn't. It's funny. I didn't really. I don't really think or talk too much about it, largely because it has a happy outcome. So there isn't there, there isn't an awful lot of trauma there. But my that we 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 did a phone in last week on this morning, and and um, and Deirdre, who's our agony aunt, has just been diagnosed with cancer, and she's got it very early, and um, and she's very uh, breast cancer, I think, and it, and she's very um, positive about it, and. Uh, yeah, it's at the very early stages, and and the prognosis looks very good. We did a phone in about about dealing with it, and a woman rang in, and she was talking about how I think it's her or her husband have cancer, and they need to speak to their kids about it. 
And the kids at the time were like, I think she said there was something like 15 and 13 or something. And it really, it, it just took me right back to Colchester in the 80s because my dad had cancer. It's a very interesting story and it's his story. So I don't particularly like to talk too much about it, largely because it's his story. But he, but from my perspective, he had this uh, throat cancer. Now, my dad is a, a teetotal vegetarian exerciser. You know, he keeps fit. Um, he doesn't smoke. So he shouldn't really... You know, he's not a prime candidate for this stuff. And uh, and he was also a top-class hurler back in the day, which is the national sport of Ireland, when he kept his fitness up when he moved over. And and I, I remember vaguely, he got he got it first when I was five, and I remember vaguely me and my mum and my sister being outside the hospital and her pointing up to uh, the hospital bed he was in, the hospital room he was in. And then I remember... Because my dad was a, a kind of, you know, a get up and go to work guy. So he was always pretty clean shaven in the morning and then kind of, you know, midnight stubble in the evening, uh, always wore a shirt, always wore a tie. And, he, and that's not him, by the way. He, he my dad's a, is, my dad's my hero. My dad's this incredible man who came over from Ireland without anything in his pocket and, and uh, worked night school and, you know, got a job and he dug holes in the ground uh, like so many Irish did uh, do and he went to night school and he got a business degree and then he got business masters and so he you know and he would always get up an hour before we got up so he'd do his work uh, an hour then he'd work on the train on the way to work and then you know uh, he moved out of London just before I was born um, and so he says my, my, my dad's story is one of sacrifice and so I was kind of largely shielded from this so, so it's very unusual to see my dad I remember my dad being on the couch with stubble and that was that for me was a he wasn't at work and b he was he was lying down he was tired with stubble and he was successful and it went away for probably 10 years and then when I was 15 it came back and there was this incredible moment where my dad went to the local hospital in Colchester and they said, we're going to have to take your tongue out. And my dad being the person that he is, well, well, I need a second opinion on that. So he went to the Royal Marsden, the cancer specialists in London. I think it was kind of really serendipitous. There was like a, a secretary at work whose sister worked there or something like that. I can't quite remember the exact ins and outs. One of the, a friend of a friend was a PA to one of the cancer specialists there, uh, one of the oncologists there. And he wrote to him and, the, and he said, well, this is a really interesting case. Come in. And uh, he said, look, we've got this kind of revolutionary surgery that we, we think we can work with you on. And it's, we need to take half your tongue out, but then we're going to take a skin graft from your wrist and put it on your tongue and take a skin graft from your elbow or just your bicep rather and then put it back on your wrist. And what, what, so it was, it was, you know, if they didn't do that, then we were in trouble, but they were pretty confident that would work and it did work. And he, but I remember that, so the first, the, my first head, I suppose, is, is seeing my dad. My parents were brilliant because they explained everything. Even though I was 15 and I probably wasn't mature enough to, kind of deal with this in its entirety what they did do really well was they didn't hide anything from me and my sister which goes back to what we were talking about this lady on this morning and that's kind of just given my anecdotal evidence because she was asking what she should do with the kids and my parents never never hid anything from us my sister was probably a she's three years older and smarter and all of this than me so mm -hmm. she she kind of got it a little bit more than I did I blithely went through being the second born with you know, my dad's going to be okay. Up until the moment I saw him in hospital. And the moment I saw him in hospital was, I never forget my, it was like, it was my first, what I call frying pan in the face moment. You know, it's that first moment where you're just, where you're just stunned. This kind of rock and this, this kind of the oak of your life is there with tubes and, and, um, and oxygen masks and, and no one kind of, 
truly prepared me for that. And my, I remember my uncle Frank, who was the greatest smoker of all smokers. I mean, this guy, you know, even bearing in mind we were in a cancer ward, Uncle Frank would easily stand outside and smoke 60 years. Sure. Oh, and he took me outside on the auspices of him needing a cigarette and bless him he just got me outside and got me out of that room and I, I just it's funny because it's it's not a particularly traumatic memory because it, it was a turd but it's a turd that has a very happy ending but it was the first moment that I saw I mean I'd seen open coffins because you know that's kind of quite often a Catholic thing but other than that I hadn't seen that kind of I hadn't seen that that that, that kind of uh, level of, of of fragility for the human body just staring right back at me, mm-hmm. and it took me. My dad had a bypass about five years ago, very um, frustratingly because, like I said, he's like now he's going to be eighty this year, but he was seventies, you know, in his mid seventies, and this is a guy who cycles everywhere and plays a bit of golf, and you know, it's, it's you know, super fit i mean he'll demolish a loaf of bread and a pot of jam but other than that that's kind of in a tub of ice cream but that's kind of in a yogurt but that's kind of his only his only vice really you know he's he's never really been one for drink or or cigarettes and and quite often with that, that generation there's this whole kind of myth about old irishmen that drink a lot and they for the most part they do but but there's a lot of irish who that age who, who took the pledge so when you take your confirmation you actually you actually sort of you'd sign up to kind of this life of abstinence that um I think it helps that a lot of them were hurlers, so a lot of them, were, my, my dad and his friends did it, but I think probably a lot of it was down to the fact that they were playing right. effectively, even though it was amateur professional sport every day. So that's my, that's my first, that was the first kind of moment for yeah. me. And actually, weirdly, it kind of equipped me for when he did have a bypass and I saw him afterwards. And obviously, you know, a bypass is this kind of really weird, I know you must have had this so many times, Chris, where both in what you're going through and what you've seen other people go through, where on one hand you have this incredible bit of uh, medical science, whether it's surgery or um, or the drugs you're taking or something, that, that you know, is so kind of ahead of its time. Yeah. And yet it's so, to, the, to the people that are administering it and the people that are doing it every day, it's so, there's such a normality to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my dad had this unbelievably invasive operation, which a bypass is, and yet... It's the, in a strange way, you know, you go to a, you go to a hospital ward where people are recovering from a bypass. It's the, it's the oddest, calmest, not maudlin at all. I found it weirdly uplifting. I, and, it, and, yeah, he was cloaked for the most part. But I remember, I remember there was a guy called Joe, this Sri, lovely Sri Lankan guy who's a nurse there. And, and he was his nurse just after surgery. And I said, you know, we just went to go and see him and, and we were in Dublin, and then we we're going to drive down to Wexford, me and my mum, my sister. And I was really in two minds whether I should go in or not. And Dee, my wife, just said, you should. You'd go in and see him. Because, you know, he was out of it. So it wasn't me, you know, going to see I just, I just thought, will it upset me too much? I just, I took, I went back to being a kid in 1987. And uh, and she was right. I'm really glad I did. And I went in, and, and I remember the, the, the nurse said, I said, well, how long will he be out for? And this is what, like, blew me away he went oh no we're going to get him up in 20 minutes he said we like to wow. you know, we like to get him walking and up mm-hmm. and around and it was just mm-hmm. that weird kind of that the level of kind of the, 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 or the juxtaposition of, of, of something that's so and you must see this all the time something that's so like incredibly risky and invasive and yet yeah. so rudimentary yeah I have seen it a lot and I've experienced <laughs> <laughs> yes and uh, for them it is so normal to be doing these things and it's it, it still amazes me 13 years after you know having cancer that I 
I'm still amazed by what the body is capable of in terms of healing and what they're able to do. But then when I have these amazing treatments or whatever, it's for me, it's that juxtaposition but of being so grateful for them, but so gutted that I need them. Yeah. And so like that gratitude smashes into does it ever go away? Trauma and grief of it. I know, I know no. you're, I know you're inching me the other way around, but I'm, I'm sorry because yeah, that's yeah. just, yeah, it's yeah. just my instinct to happen. ask questions. But does that? But as a conversation, does that ever? Does that kind of? Does that that, that side of it? Does no, it ever go away? No, it doesn't. And I, but the thing is, I love that. I respect the amazing technology and the amazing advances that have happened, and I've seen the advances because I've had this disease for so long. So. Yeah. Um, it's constant respect and constant sort of, uh, you know, overcoming. So, yeah, I, I, I think to- what I, amazes me to, to yeah. pick up on what you said, what amazes me is, is how on one respect, what the human body can go through and just how resilient it is. And you see, I don't know anything from, you know, cancer patients through to, uh, you know, people who have suffered trauma, whether it's, you know, an accident or a veteran or whatnot. And yeah, I'll never forget, we had a lovely guy I used to work with called Matt uh, as a cameraman. Really, just really lovely, gentle soul. Lived on, a, lived, on a house, lived on a boat in the Thames. And we came into work. I was doing Big Brother. We sort of, it was a lovely, uh, those guys who I started out with on T4, who were camera assistants at the time, then all sort of have either gone on to be directors and camera and cameramen and stuff. You know, really successful guys, some of them. But they all, we were all about the same age when we started out. So we've all kind of, I don't see them as much as I'd like to, but when you see them, you always have a cup of tea or something in the studio. And there was a lovely guy called Matt. And I'll never forget, he, he slipped over in the shower. He was like quite a big, tall, rangy guy. He was a great shape, cycled everywhere. And he slipped over in the shower. And I think he damaged his windpipe or something. And he just asphyxiated in the shower. And it was just, and he just slipped over. He wasn't drunk. He just slipped over in the shower. And so that kind of, that's what I find kind of, I find that fragility and of life and yet, mm. and yet human body. So how robust the human body is just fascinating and, and inspiring and, and sometimes horrifying in equal measure, mm. you know? Yeah. I actually read somewhere that you had said that your parent, because your mum's had cancer too, hasn't she? Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, your parents' experience was almost an introduction to mortality. I mean, so you know, it's a young age, I think, to have that introduction. But how has that then fed into how you view life and and that fragility and your own mortality since? God, that's a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you're, you know, it's it's interesting because I am, um, like I said, I feel very grateful and privileged that I am uh, almost 50 and my parents are still both alive and healthy. So my mum, you know, with issues, my mum has um, a kind of ongoing kind of skin cancer. And, and what's interesting is they think with that, she, it was like from when she was a kid in Ireland and, you know, they didn't have SPF back then and she was just, you know, playing in the sun and they call the Wexford, we call Wexford the sunny southeast in Ireland. Sometimes you question why. But it, and she... And that's where that's sort of where it comes from. With hers, it's it's interesting because it's always kind of we'll do this just in case. That was always the the and still is the kind of um, uh, the attitude that that that, she, that the people consulting her have. It's like we think it's going to be okay, but we'll do this just in case. And that's that kind of definitely tempers 
um, any worry that you have. My dad obviously was was different, but like I said, my mum and dad, they were, they I don't know, they played it. I mean, they're brilliant parents because they brought us up well, and, and it was a very happy childhood, and and you know I love them both very dearly. But they didn't mollycoddle us, you know. They were they were, you know they could be quite stern and 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 disciplined when they needed to be. Never never harsh, but and and I think that kind of no nonsense like. I didn't feel like I grew up immediately when my dad had cancer, but I definitely felt like the world shifted because, you know, you're, you're 15 years for the most part, your upbringing has been pretty great. And then suddenly someone said, oh, this one of two people who you look to in the world who your totems is, is you know, is actually ill. And, and thankfully that had a happy ending, but it definitely was the first time I, uh, it was the first time I sort of looked at death and, and the things you you know your 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 experience sadly is that you lose your parents and your experience when you're a kid is that you you know your grandparents pass but there's but there's a and there's such a separation there because when you're growing up you it is natural sadly to lose your grandparents and so you sort of you know yeah you see you see mortality and you see death weirdly i i, I was two of the worst losses in my life for 11 years old maybe we lost our first pet which is a rabbit, and I, and it just floored me because that was the first time I saw something die, uh, mm-hmm. or I went to school and came back and it wasn't there anymore. Oh, okay. You didn't watch it die. No, and then when I came, and then when, and then, two thousand sixteen, one of my cats died really, uh, really mm-hmm. like quite not traumatically, but um, just yeah, just made it to four, and that was a that was horrible. Like it, in a weird way, it's going to sound so silly saying this, but when you see something happen to animals, it's yeah. It, it's 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 not worse or better. It's just but it's no better. The fact they're animals, you know, it, it hammers it home. Well, it's that connection that you have. If it's an animal or a human, if you have that connection with them, then and you lose it. Well, I just think if it, 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 yeah, I think just you know, of course, loss is loss. Right, grief is grief. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're sort of my they're my they're my medical turds. <laughs> well, but <laughs> I, I, well, I'm genuinely interested to know how that has led to your outlook on life and how you've, I don't know, made decisions in your life about, I don't know, sometimes I look at people and I wonder because if, you know, if no turds have happened or they've lived a very sort of easy, breezy life or um, or have never really been in touch or had a conversation or a connection with death, when it does happen, that would firstly be incredibly difficult and secondly it might not actually get you to really squeeze all the good shit out of life if you don't know that it could end at any moment that's a very good way of looking at it yeah so has that impacted you well I think it might have impacted me implicitly I think I'm very lucky with my parents in that they are both incredibly cup half full people and we, you know, me and my sister were talking about this. She's very similar to me, in, in, in that you know, we're both optimists. And, and you get to the age where, you, where look, I think it's natural when you see, as you get older, your world shrinks. Like you just see that. That's mm-hmm. just kind of. But, but you, but it doesn't have to. You just, or, or even if it does, you have to make it work for you, right? And I think COVID has compounded that because people, especially elderly, have kind of had to stay inside for a year or two, whatever. And so that's kind of, you know, a lot of people just haven't come back out 
yeah, well, I've got relatives that just, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's really affected their, or friends of friends really, really affected their confidence. But my mum and dad, it hasn't happened to my mum and dad. My dad, my mum and dad, were, my mum and dad are incredibly active, very happy-go-lucky people who have worked incredibly hard and are very, you know, like, socially aware, like my, my dad especially is, you know, and we never understood that don't talk religion and politics at the dinner table because we talk loads about religion and politics at the dinner table because we love chatting about the world. Yeah. And so, you know, they're not kind of airy-fairy blithe. They're, they're really engaged. Um, but life is there to be lived. And 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 they've, they kind of, they always taught us that without really saying those words. It was yeah. just they sort of, they kind of led by their actions, really. I don't want to, you know, like I said, I'm 49. Of course, you have, you know, you, you get the, those sort of, contemplations and 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 every now and again but you don't want to as soon as you start going down that road then you start second guessing and you should never do that you should you should always try and live your life and it's very easy for me to say that because I've you know yes I've worked very hard but I've got a great life and I'm I'm, I'm completely uh, you know I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm not unaware of that but that doesn't mean I, I don't remember the fire and I still don't have it I've still got the fire to to to, to carry on working and and uh, and do as good a job as I can. And I also remember, you know, being a runner on nothing in London and, and you know, that, that doesn't go away. Springsteen always says that. He said, you know, you know, just always remember the fire. Like, you know, you know how hard you work to get where you are carry on working hard, but enjoy life. Take it, you know, and, and I think for me, that's kind of one of the reasons why I really love the job I do is because, you know, you were very kind to listen to lovely superlatives at the start of this, but it's, it's, for me, it's more what, 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 gets my juices flowing is no two days are the same you know i have this lovely morning this morning where i had a you know i, I was able to hang out with my son and then i went to work out and and i, I you know we were talking earlier on i found a lost dog and now i've you know i <laughs> speak to you and i've got a couple of things you know i've got a few meetings later on so it's a it's a, you know and yet last week i was in manchester filming in a house someone's house which is kind of odd and then on friday i'll be in the studio and on Saturday, I'll be at the radio. And so, you know, that that variety of life just gives you, and I think that's important, even if you're doing the yeah. same thing day in, day out, just try and do something different. Yeah, and I think that you still have that attitude right now is, I mean, I, th- I think that says a lot about you because I don't think if you're not a lot of people, that doesn't come naturally and they have to really work at it. Yeah, and that's fine. You know, it's easy for me to say that because I'm luckily, I don't, you know, everyone gets blue days, but I don't, particularly suffer from depression and and well I don't and and a lot of my you know not a lot but a few of my friends do and I've seen it and I've seen uh, addiction take hold of people and all of those things so I am I'm acutely aware that it's kind of easy to go guys get up in the morning life's great but um, but you but I've got but I have to keep that mindset I just want listeners to know that I was very lucky to meet your parents at the Bath Half Marathon once and um, can say for sure that they were lovely people. Yeah, just honestly, if my fun. dad's knee let him, he would be doing, he'd have done that bar. He'd have done uh, that half, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. But like now, I spoke to my dad the other day, my dad, he just went, he went, oh, I'm going to get a new knee. And I went, what? And he said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just in pain and I want to, and he's really super active, my dad, and he's 80 years old. Well, are you sure? Because, like, knees are, like, really painful when yeah. you get your knee done. He's like, yeah, I want to go and do this and do that. And do that. Yeah, and but he's had a me. bypass and he's had 
cancer and they're going to take his bloody tongue out. Having a knee replacement is nothing, probably, to him. <laughs> yes, you know what? No, you put it like that, you're absolutely right, yeah. Yeah, he's been yeah, through worse. So... He's like, bring it on. Yeah. But I, I think that sunny disposition probably is half natural and half from the experiences that you, you know, had to live at a younger age and see people go through because you look up to your parents and it sounds like, you know, your dad was a bit of a legend in your eyes. And then you witnessed such vulnerability. Mm. And that's when you go, oh, shit, not everything is that rosy. My strong ox of a dad isn't like this all the time. Um, and I guess it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. He, but what's interesting is he came, how quickly he came back from mm. from from that, you know. I mean, it, and he went up every six months and they were he was like the poster boy for this. So I don't think that, I think he was like the first or second third person to have the surgery done in the yeah, UK. Yeah, this time. sounds incredible. Oh, unbelievable, Chris, seriously. You know, funny, I met someone from the Marsden the other day at the at the Royal Parks Half, and I'm sort of maxed out with, with, with the charity that, I, that I'm involved with because I always think you can't say yes to everything because if you say yes to everything, then you don't really, you know, you water down what you can do. So you have to be quite, not blunt, but you have to be polite enough to, to decline things sometimes but I'm there and it was kind of hard not to because I was just said look thank you my dad was there in 87 and and you know he saved his life so yeah I'm not giving up Copperfield anytime soon okay this is an exclusive are you telling me something <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, giving so up so that charity that I matched out on is Copperfield <laughs> and um, I'm now guys I'm taking this opportunity <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's enough of you to go around isn't there yeah, you've got a lot. I've <laughs> <laughs> got blood, sweat and tears at the Bath Half Marathon. Thank you. <laughs> I never forget, was it me and Fern went on the million pound drop and we just, we were doing really oh, well. And oh then my we... God, don't remind me. Yep. I no mean, that's a turd. That, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't just say that. <laughs> that's a turd when you're, uh, when you think you're about to, how much money, I think we were almost there, weren't we? And then the... Uh... Good. It all just dropped away. It's all Cilla Black's fault. That the question was about Cilla Black. And it was, wasn't it? You got it wrong. Yeah. What do we walk? What do we walk away with? Literally nothing. No, didn't we? Some money wasn't there. Well, I think you had a fee for being on the show, which you donated to us. Yeah. <laughs> That's the least we could do. <laughs> But oh, there were, like there was, tw- I think there was twenty five because those bundles that you put on the thing for yeah. the drop is uh, they were all twenty five thousand. So you, I think you were literally on the last bundle, and it just disappeared into that. It was a long hole. time ago as well. It, so yes. twenty five grand probably would have gone oh a long way. Oh my gosh! And you know we we're like, oh, but it's the exposure. You were fun on this TV show, but you go home thinking, yeah, but I would have really fucking liked the cash. I know. Actually. I know. Me and Fern will just. Devoed of the, yeah. we're, walking down, we're walking down the stairs to see you going, shit, what are we going to say? That's it. What's, what if we would really fuck this up? No, I'm proud of you for going on it. That is not an easy show to go on. God, I had forgotten about it, but maybe I think there's a reason why. So just, yeah, uh, you know, we've we talked about the turd and we've talked about the glittery, glittery bits of it and what you've learned and how you've connected with that mortality and how you've made it, you know, you've pumped that into how you live your life. Um, can you share like one key sort of lesson or advice that you would want to give people about glittering their own turds? 
or how, or something that you've learned from how, you know, your turd and the glitter of it that you'd want to pass on? Um, it's difficult this, isn't it? Because everyone's got to deal with their own uh, turd and, 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 and glittering thereof in whichever way they sort of, whichever way works for you. Mm. Um, it doesn't even have to be some revolutionary Dalai Lama style. I, I can almost certainly tell you I'm not going to give you that. <laughs> but yeah. for me, it's going to sound so blithe and fucking reductive, but but a positive mindset is just, and I'm not one, I'm not a massive one for manifestation because I think a lot of people t- get the wrong end of the stick with it and just they think, or if I think I'm going to get a million pounds, I'm going to get a million pounds. But I do think there is something in having this, having Christ, I can't believe I'm telling you this. I mean, you're, you wrote the book on this of having an outlook where you are realistic, but genuinely positive about, Mm -hmm. about, about whatever uh, challenge you have, because otherwise, and it's easy for me to say this, but, Otherwise, you will not get out of bed in the morning. And there have been times both, thankfully yet for me personally, not medically, but certainly professionally, where I've woke up and just gone. I, and it's, it's only happened once or twice, but mm. where you go, shit, I don't want to get out of bed today. This is just, it's too, you know, I've either lost a job or uh, it's been a horrible story about me or something. It's just something that, you know, uh, it does not change the world in the grand scheme of things, but at that time, it's everything because you're in this kind of bubble. Yeah. But you, but I read this great interview of Mo Salah, the uh, the footballer mm. uh, for Liverpool, and he said when he when he whenever he he needs a, to have a big decision in his life, he just he goes and has a conversation with himself. So he literally just takes himself off on his own and just walks, and just thinks about the pros and cons of every decision he has to make. Now for him, that's, you know, big picture stuff, I suppose, you know, you know whatever. But I think the, 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 the fundamental of that actually, it, there's lessons to be learned off the back of that, which is just take yourself off as anywhere as quiet as it possibly can be. If that means speaking to your God, then go for it. If, if not, then just, just take so now I'm lucky enough we moved and we're in this and we're, we're opposite this little woods and I was like my brain was all over the show the other day we had to just deliver this thing I was writing so I've been in front of a computer all day and I just went next door and just walked in the woods walked in the heath in Hampstead and suddenly everything just dissipated and there's a clarity there and so I the one thing I'd say is just the world can can seem whether it's your job or your health or your relationship or what people think of you or but like a million and one little things getting on top of you. I know it sounds counterintuitive because you're taking yourself away from the coalface of it, but do that and just give yourself that 10, 15, half an hour just to kind of walk and think, I think about it or not think about it, but if you do, just think about it. Just think about it, just contextualize your thoughts and then come back, make a list and, and get going. I think that's really good advice. Sometimes I'm so it's scared. It's the old to- Morgan Freeman, man. It's get busy living, get busy dying. You know, you've just got mm. to just be, you've got to get busy. You can't. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's so easy for me to say this, but, it, but, and you're the, you are the living <laughs> fucking like epitome of that. I thank you. But sometimes it's good to hear it from other people, but 
I think sometimes I'm quite scared to spend too much time in my head because I think I'm worried that I'll go around in circles or I'll spiral somewhere that I don't want to go. But then unless I give myself time to really think what I'm thinking, like really go there, I can't listen to the intuition. I can't, I can't, I can't acknowledge it or I can't get there or I can't listen to my gut clearly enough if I don't allow myself that space with myself. And how I'm really feeling. And for you, and I do this as well, for you, it's the, 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 the swimming is involved, right? You, you swim in the sea a lot. And I think that cleanses. I think there's yeah. something about oh that. I'm doing, that. I'm doing it yes. in the ponds at the moment. Been doing it for oh, ages. And, it, and I mean, it's fucking freezing, but it's amazing. But that just, it just does give you that kind of clarity of thought. Now, it doesn't yeah. have to be swimming in the sea. It could be anything. But yeah. it's that just taking yourself out of that routine, I think. Yeah. It's that reset for me, definitely. Um. Okay, then and quickly, swiftly moving on to uh, an item. It could be an actual physical thing or a concept, a human, an item of food that's helped you to glitter your turd. Oh. Oh. Where's my... You hear my son? Oh, is that... It was that Casper? Yeah, right. he's, going to, he's going to sleep for his nap. And he's like, not happy about it. <laughs> Come um, <laughs> okay, so let's just hang on. I need to unpick this. So Maybe that was Casper this... saying, it's me, right? It is It is me, right? <laughs> yeah, but I can't give you that because that's what, like, your kids are always going to be the, the, the glitter, aren't they? Yeah, but. Your kids okay are your cats and all of that jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. I don't know. It's just, it's not. It's not you want to give me something more profound? So, <laughs> I do, yeah. Well, I'll try. Uh, so, so is it a thing? Is it a physical thing? It, um. Yeah, so in the past, people have said cups of tea, a piece of art by Frida Kahlo. But a lot of people have said, an, a, you know, a family member or, you know, going out, walking in outside. Can we really well, I think I've sort of answered it. But for me, it's the beats. It's the, it's the kind of, and it's not really one thing. So it's the first cup of coffee in the morning that's just that you just, that you, if you're able to have it on your own, yeah. it's going down to that pond and swimming once or twice a week. You know, it's. It's the breath of of it's interesting doing this um, doing the radio and this morning on 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 Friday and Saturday I get up super early and and this morning I get picked up on the radio I take my bike in and there's a there's a just a at the end of our street this is this viewing point where you can you just look over London and I try and leave early enough and I very much sort of normally fail but I tr- but I I like to stop at it and take a picture or just have a five minutes where I just I'm able to just look out and the sun coming up over the city so that I guess the resets and the and the small little things you know I was running in the I was running this morning uh through the woods down to uh where, where I train and I swear I saw an owl like a massive owl like fly through the woods and I just stopped and I was like well I'm just going to stop I, you know I know I'm going to be late for training but yeah. It's an owl. So, um, you know, it's, cool. it's, yeah, right. So it's taking those moments and just, and just, you know, embracing them. Yeah. Yes. And my son and my wife. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That does go with that saying, but yes. Oh, owls and coffees and ponds and children. Um. <laughs> and the first, and the first, you know, do you drink any more? The first drink, like it's, it's interesting, the sort of, um, I don't really do anything else, so so alcohol is kind of my only real vice, and I really I really enjoy it. But I don't particularly like drinking loads and getting drunk. Mm-hmm. I just like the first one, and then like I'm perfectly happy. I don't really have an addictive personality to so the first one, and and then that kind of nice drinking half a bottle of wine with a 
with, yeah. with dinner or something. Do you Oof. know what I mean? Is that yeah, that yeah, sweet spot? That I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the sweet spot. Mm. That's 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 what I love. Yeah. Are you allowed to drink anymore? Can you drink anymore? Uh, they haven't said yes, but it, I'm making the decision not to at the moment because I've got lots yeah. of cancer in my liver and it's kind of a crucial organ that yeah, needs to you need that guy. deal with this stuff. So we're now going to listen to Katie, who has glittered their turd. Hey, my name is Katie. So for the past seven years, I've been experiencing various medical issues and trying to navigate the NHS to find out the cause of some quite serious symptoms, including blackouts and what seemed to be seizures. And it kind of culminated, the crescendo happened earlier this year when over my breakfast, my heart stopped twice. I'm 32 years old and this has kind of been going on since I was 25. Uh, Yeah, it's been a bit of a wild ride and, and culminated in quite a dramatic Wednesday back in May. To add insult to injury, I suppose, um, a week after having heart surgery and having that pacemaker fitted, I was quite unceremoniously dumped by text uh, by the guy I was seeing at the time. However, now that a few months have passed, I've decided to harness my experience. I've taken my experiences and they've given me the push to do some things I really wanted to do. So I started, um, I qualified as a Pilates teacher and have started building my business, which is really exciting. I've started writing uh, a book, which is what I've always wanted to do. And I am being firmer with boundaries. So it was a bit of a crap week um, and something I'm definitely still coming to terms with, I think. But these things are sent to try us. And I really feel like I've grown a huge amount in the past three months. um, And I'm really excited for what's to come. Wow. Wow. Katie. Yes. Wow. That's so impressive. Yeah. Thing is... Like you, I don't want to make you cry. No. But you, should I just not say anything? <laughs> no, go for it. Try me. <laughs> you, you mustn't underestimate the impact you've had on people's lives. To just, so, the, so the fact that she's calling up here and talking about this and, 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 and how she's kind of turned her life around. Like there's nothing you can do about people getting ill. That's, mm. you know, that's going to happen one way or another, but you give people so much hope and, and you inspire people. So like, and you just give people just this, it, just this, you just imbue this positivity wherever you go and you, and just never stop that fire, Chris, because you know, you genuinely, yes, we all know Copperfield save lives, but don't underestimate what an impact you have just in your, just going about your life on a day-to-day basis, just how it changes people and how it, and how it just, it sort of, it, it, just how it galvanizes people to to fight these these incredible battles that they are that they win they win every day and mm. a lot of that you know don't underestimate what you do yeah thank you and um, and i and i think that's what's i, I love what you, that you just said they win every day they might not be getting better but if they're winning at their own life and they redefine survival for themselves and what they actually want to get out of life after or during whatever they're you know going through then you've absolutely won you're smashing yeah. the fucking shit out of it it's yeah. amazing and i think that that's like, that's so important just that level of of you know don't focus on the whole war it's just that it's just get by day by day by day yeah. uh you know and before you you know before you know it you might have just won the war without even knowing it do you know what i mean <laughs> just get just just day by day by day do whatever it takes to make your life a little bit better every day. Well, Katie, I'm so glad that they got to the bottom of that. 
Wow. Brilliant. And also, Katie, if you want, like you sound like Katie, you are <laughs> doing just fine. But, um, but when you want, if you want, there'll be someone out there for you who's definitely worthy of you. You heard it, heard it here, damn it. Has. Maybe there isn't. Maybe there's maybe no one's worthy of her. She sounds like she's a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't need anyone. Fuck them. Yeah, I did say that. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. That's nice. All right. That's nice. Okay. Finally, we're going to cheers to your turd, everyone's turds, turds in general, and life. Cheers, Derek. Thank you so cheers, much. Cheers, Chris. Love you. Love you too. Damn it, damn it. I think it's so true what you were saying just then at the end of Ound. Remembering your fire and remembering it's there. It is ignited. She's got to use it. And I guess we'll never know whether that fire was there for Dermot because of his turd or whether it was just naturally there and stoked all of his life. But I reckon it's probably got a combination of the two. Really glad he brought up the million pound drop because I so often forget that we put Fern, Cotton and Dermot O'Leary through that experience to go on national telly and do the world's hardest quiz show and lose all the money for charity. That is a mean one. That is a giant turd. It really is. It was a turd for everyone involved that day. But what a pleasure and what an experience. I'm so glad I got to share that with Dermot and Fern. Um, yeah. So I think you could actually probably find the clip on YouTube somewhere if you wanted to. Right, I'm about to get disconnected and go home and recuperate. But I'll be thinking about them. It's words for a little while, I think. And I hope you will be too. And if you enjoyed today's chat, please do share it. Give it a like and a follow wherever you get your podcasts. And I very much hope to look forward to having you listen again soon. Goodbye.